everyone to episode seven of the illustration insights podcast and the second of three parts taken from our first ever illustration block party event which we ran in manchester on the 6th of october 2018 if you missed the last episode we heard from illustrator dan woodger and dan talked about a range of things including why he went to brighton to study why he draws in the way that he does and why it's the other end of the spectrum to where he started and most importantly why he's getting into animation it's really worth a listen if you haven't heard it already and in this episode you will hear from illustrator ben newman there's a few facts about ben if you don't already know who he is Ben is based in Hastings after graduating from Bristol University and spending a few years in London. Ben has created an educational character called Professor Astrocat, who in collaboration with his friends at Nobrow Press and Flying Eye Books is now available in a range of languages across a range of countries around the world. Ben has two children, one of which was extremely freshly delivered when he met at the block party. So Ben hadn't had a lot of sleep when we spoke. Now, just like Dan Woodger, we would consider Ben to be a friend. He's hugely supportive of what we've been looking to achieve and to see his journey develop over the past few years is incredible. Not only that, but Ben is a pretty entertaining person and we could listen to him talk all day. And that's probably why we keep getting him back. You can follow Ben at various points online and we'll post the links in the description to the podcast. As always, please get involved in the conversation on Twitter and Instagram. Let us know what you think. We'll be publishing the episode notes to the show and we'll put a link in the description to this podcast. Remember, if you like what you hear, please do subscribe via your podcast app, sign up to the mailing list and we'll put the show notes all down the mailing list for you to make it really easy. We hope you gain something new from our conversation with Ben and we'll look forward to catching up next time for the final, the end of the trilogy of the Illustration Insights Illustration Block Party. Thanks very much. Illustration Block Party. Ben Newman, everyone. In one sentence, Ben, could you describe yourself for anyone that doesn't know who you are or what you do? Um, I draw children's books. Ace. Nailed it. Yeah, it's going to be a really long half an hour, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so I've got a little introduction here. So you're based in Hastings. I am now, yes. Yes, which we, yeah, that's a, that's a nice little oh, episode too. Yeah. Um, your illustrations are bold, bright, apparently. That's, that's very accurate. Described as Bauhaus Fuzzy Felt. Yes. And uh, you are the creator of the Professor Astrocat series. I am co-creator. I was going to say with your friend, yeah. Dr. Dominic Walliman. That's right, yeah. Perfect. There we go. So that's Ben, everyone. Right, we're finished. So, um, well, so to explain, it's not just uh, regular children's books. We do science children's books for kids. So we started with the first book um, about space called The Frontiers of Space. Uh, one next one was Atomic Adventure about physics, and uh, the third one was the human body, and then we've got offshoot books from that for younger age groups that we're we're now working on, and it's also been a couple of apps as well, and the idea is that it's a cat in a spacesuit, a blue cat in a yellow spacesuit for everyone, anyone listening or are you guys here without any visual cues, the spacesuit's yellow and white with some black bits and the cat's blue, so. Obviously, it's a vivid picture for you. You all know what I'm talking about now, and he explains <laughs> he explains science to children via me drawing and Dominic writing. Yeah, and I'm very impressed. So he's an astrophysicist, isn't he? He is. Yeah. He well, he's he studied physics as a PhD, and then he moved to Canada. Uh, I guess sort of 
around the time we were in the middle of doing the first book, mm-hmm. and he moved there to be a quant- no to work on quantum computers, which is in Vancouver. That's uh, amazing. Vancouver, where the X Files were filmed. Is that right? They filmed that in Vancouver. Yeah, well, that's right. Didn't know that. It's like a little X Files update. Yeah, and um, <laughs> yeah, that's what. So he he did that for a while. Now he stopped. He runs a YouTube series called Domain of Science. Didn't know and that. so he does YouTube videos explaining science to people on there. Is the domain around Dominic? Dom, Dom, oh, maybe Dad. I hadn't thought of that. Yeah, maybe this guy is. Where is he? He's got his visual Where's puns it? down. <laughs> so, f- from there, going, let's take all the way back. So, where did you study? Did you study? Oh, yeah, I studied um, in Bristol on the illustration course just there, mm-hmm. uh, and it was interesting because I. Part of the reason why I'm here is I, I talked at the Manchester University yesterday yes. and the course leader is my old tutor who had a, a very huge effect on me in my second and third year. So it was a real honour to come down and, and speak in front of his class. But um, yeah, so he taught me then. There was a point I was going to make. <laughs> Bristol. Is it Bristol related? Yeah, so I, uh, no. No. So I was in, yeah, I was mm-hmm. from, from, lived in Bristol for a long time. But that's mm. why I'm here because of a weird Bristol connection. Yes. Yeah. Is he from Bristol? Uh, it, no, he's not. I think you know. <coughs> he's Irish. I just worry that I might have said Scottish and then he might hear it and go, ah. Oh. <laughs> um, just turn up. So yeah, I, li- I lived in Bristol for about 11 years and that's sort of where I started my career from there. Okay. So I left university in 2004. I didn't go straight into the industry as an illustrator. It took me quite a bit of time. Uh, so I worked lots of jobs. I got a job working in Waterstones Bookshop. Mm-hmm. And I did that for about maybe six or seven years. And in the sort of latter couple of years of that I whittled down my hours and days so that um, to a point where illustration was paying half my income mm-hmm. and Waterstones paying the other half. And it eventually got to the point where I could leave and support myself from being from being freelance, but uh, and then I was there for about eleven years, and then I moved to London for three years. Mm-hmm. And London was a big test to go. Can you afford to live in London off of drawing a, a cat? I guess. <laughs> uh, uh, and then I did, and then I, I met my girlfriend and moved to, down to Hastings because I was mm-hmm. going down there every weekend. Then I found every Sunday when I'd come back up to London, I'd feel sort of increasingly disillusioned. Mm. Um, by the place and also I realised that I was doing the job that I wanted to do I was just paying through the nose to do it um, and so I decided to go and move down there which was great because well, it's, it's less money mm-hmm. I'm obviously with a person that I love as well it's not just about finances mm. um, and so I got a nice studio got, uh, lots of friends have all started moving there now so we're getting a nice little community of people making stuff and it's yeah it's very good very lucky yeah you've got a good split yeah going back to what you said for about Waterstones we had a point before Romanika? Romica. Romica, sorry. So Romica was talking about so it's the second time he's got someone's name wrong today. <laughs> and the other one was fairly important, wasn't it? So you know, in terms of the scheme of designing now that situation. Now he's telling you you're not important. Oh, <laughs> it just gets worse. The the bants the bants is off the chart. Sorry, Romica. So Romica, as you were saying before about graduating and you're in your period of time where you are looking to do that what the fuck do I do next thing? Um, Waterstones comes into play here because you were talking about part-time roles. So the, the fact that, so, and this is a little spoiler, so after, I was at the talk yesterday that Ben did and Ben <coughs> raised the point where nothing is a waste of time and I thought this is quite powerful. And the fact that you're working in what you, in your own words, a domain where you could evaluate what was going on in the market around children's books. Yeah, but I guess I, I gained that insight in, in hindsight. Yes. At the time, in fact. So I was yeah. working in a bookshop, desperately wanting to do illustration as my career. So every evening I would illustrate, uh, I would days off, I would book days off on holiday so I could just draw and make things or try and do a job for a client. Mm. So I felt like I all the hours I was at Waterstones I was like I should be I should be at home doing this and doing that and actually by doing and working in the bookshop I worked out an area where I felt like there was a hole in the market and created a, I felt like all of the non-fiction and science books for children were very perfunctory mm-hmm. that makes sense so it's all annotated photographs it's all done a certain way there's not much design or love put into the books I personally felt that anyway uh, and there just wasn't an alternative to those books. So the idea of creating a fully illustrated, very colourful book um, that took a long time to make, 
felt like there was a hole for that in the market. But I only gained that realization through taking customers to that section and they go, oh, is that it? Mm. And you're like, oh, maybe that's not it. Maybe there could be more. So, <laughs> and, um, and, and, and I figured that we would do this book and like all my other previous books, they would sell out of their run, not be reprinted, not go into another language. Uh, and then I just carry on doing whatever I was doing for clients. And luckily we filled a hole and then it sort of spiraled, not spiraled, uh, that implies it went badly. It went, it went well. It's gone. It's so it's it's got better. It's, it turned out that the thing that I've gone from doing commercial work to doing it more of a personal project as my job. And then the weird thing is, is as you start doing that, that becomes a job. And then you start seeking the other personal project you want to do in your spare time. So that at the moment is to pretend that I'm a painter in my spare time. So uh, we live in this very weird big house in Hastings. I'm not saying it's big because we have loads of money. It's not. It's that. My, this is very boring to explain, but I'll very quickly explain it. The, the, the living arrangement's really bizarre. It's an old, it used to be a Victorian girls' school uh, 100 years ago, and it's been blocked of flats and all sorts throughout time. But about 26 years ago, my girlfriend's parents bought this house. They sold their two bedroom flat in London and bought this house for like 100 grand. It was the, one of those old houses that had been set there for a long time, smashed windows. Kids would stand on the terrace over it, lock, <laughs> lock rocks it, because it was just abandoned. It was, it was flats, so there were no stairs between all the floors. So they bought it really cheap, amazing bit of land. No one wants to go to Hastings at that point because it was a total shit bin and <laughs> it was full of heroin addicts. Um, and so when I moved to Hastings, my girlfriend was living in the house with her mum and her aunt. Uh, so we still live with her mum and her aunt. But basically the house is so big and it's been, a lot of work's been done over the years that mm. uh, Dora's aunt lives in the attic. We live on the floor below. Dora's mum lives on the floor below that and runs Airbnb. And the floor below that, um, Dora has kitted out the downstairs with a bar and exhibition space. So the house runs as like a business because mm. we can't afford the upkeep of the house without the house generating money. That's so, amazing. But the house is so big that we can exist on yeah. our own floor and we don't necessarily see anyone. Yeah, so, oh, right, okay. But, but, you know, the house is quite a busy house and it's great that, you know, our kids have got their, their, grand, their granny around and um, it's a big sort of family house. So... Anyway, in the garden, this is very nice to mention that, <laughs> there's some of these prefab buildings that were built like, uh, they're sort of chalets, I guess. Mm -hmm. One floor little things that were built in the 60s. And she rents those out as studios. So we have a, a couple of ceramicists, a sculptor, mm -hmm. and some painters who work in the garden in, mm -hmm. these, in these buildings. And one of them came up. So I rent rented them with two friends of mine who are illustrators, um, Jay Cover and Jim Stoughton. Mm -hmm. And we've rented the space. So we've got no Wi-Fi, no heating. We've just got two electrical plug sockets. <laughs> And uh, just a load of space, and we moved all our power tools and wood and you know workbenches and stuff in. So now we just cut stuff up and um, paint things. And it's nice to have a little room that's away. It's completely different from. I realise I'm sat on this stool with my legs as wide as possible. <laughs> I can't sit comfortably on it because of my. Coccyx. It's weird. You've got to kind of do like so, a yeah, weird so sort of boy band. Yeah, sorry. So I'm not, I'm not trying to alpha male no, no. everyone in the front. Row. <laughs> I just can't sit comfortably. So on also the stool. speaking directly yeah. to Ramika, um, obviously, you know. So uh, yes, yeah, so I'm living out this fantasy doing, doing paint. So that, that the strange thing is, is I'm you know, doing the thing that the little sort of personal project as my living, and now I'm trying to find something else to do. Um, but since having children, the great thing about doing this painting in the garden is that I'm, I'm not ambitious with it in any way. Mm. It's, it's purely so that in 30 years time, probably when mm. I've been, I'll be dead before then, but when, <laughs> when they're clearing out the house or, or one of them moves into a house and has a family, they might find one of their dad's old paintings and go, oh, I might put that on the wall. Yeah. Cause I went to a friend's house and he had this really great painting on the wall. I said, like, wow, where did you get that painting? It was my dad's. And I thought, wow, that's like, that's the, that's the top you got to aim for there, where yeah. one of your kids goes, well, great painting, my dad did, I'm going to put that in my house. Yeah, that would so be So that's amazing. what I'm aspiring to now. I have no, uh, <laughs> I, since having children, my aspirations have dipped. And now, now I just like making stuff for them that they might like when they're adults. It's that horrible, like, sheltered, like, do you yeah. like this, yeah. Charles? And they're like, no. I've been trying to make a painting for Wilbur's room for <clears> months, <throat> and I keep making all these paintings, but I either like them, I sort of go, hmm, I quite like that. Maybe I might use that for an exhibition, so I won't give it to him, so it won't go for his room. <laughs> and I can't work out, and then I'm like, well, that's not good enough to go in his room. And I, I still, after uh, 18 months, he's still doesn't have a painting in his room <laughs> but I did paint a load of wooden blocks for him which took me two and a half months I remember you talking about this, time, like yeah. the actual blocks as in yeah, stack so, of blocks so we got given a uh, as a baby uh, present we got given these wooden blocks that a family member had cut up and put into a, a black box and at the baby shower I hate that word 
uh, and I had a thing. It was like a little sort of, oh, you're going to have a baby party. He gave us these blocks, and all the children had felt it pens, and they drew over them. And they'd been sat in the corner for months, and it was driving me mad that these things just looked terrible because the kids had just written their name and age on them, and then a scribble. So I said, right, I'm going to repaint all the blocks. So I primed all of them, repainted the box, and then I had to paint a little composition on each side of each block Jesus. and so I'd do it uh, they were on the kitchen table it drove my girlfriend mad that's partly why we've got the studio in the garden now <laughs> I can't do any of that stuff at home and it means I can leave it out and, rather than having to pack it away every time does he play with them now? well he would he, he tried to play with them more when I was trying to paint them than he does now that they're finished <laughs> I know it's that one of those things do you not want to play with your blocks? no I'm into this now no, me, and my, me, and my, me and my dad made him a, a rocking horse which took me months to get around to painting because I started painting it and then I wasn't sure if I liked what I'd done to it so I left it and then we finally finished it and he's scared of it and he won't touch it. He's <laughs> <laughs> so. like, look at it, it's yeah. great. So it's going well. So I don't, judging good, from the rocking horse, I don't think he's going to want to put one of my paintings in his house. When You've got a good up. strike rate. So, yeah, Romacab, uh, Waterstones. It's the answer oh, yes, to that sorry, question. That's the question. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I'm only joking. But uh, the, the thing is, I've taught lots of students that have come straight out of university into the industry. Mm. But I, I do think, actually, by doing that, you don't give yourself... And, and I just, just for my personal opinion, is you'd, I don't... I'm talking because I didn't go straight into the industry. I had to have a job to support myself. But the great thing that allowed me was time to... So when I left university, this is a very muddled answer, I had a, an offer from Central St. Martins to come for an interview to do an MA. And I was quite excited, but at the same time I thought, I've been in education since I was four. I just don't want to be in education. <laughs> I'd quite like to just make some mistakes and maybe earn some money. So it took me yeah, about several years after university to be able to do this full time. But it gave me the chance to, just by having a part-time job, just make stuff that I wanted to make because I wanted to make it, as opposed to coming straight out of university and having to make work for people. And I think that's I think that's quite in for me. It's very important because it, it's led me to going. Oh well, I'll draw a cat in a spacesuit, and that'll be my job. Or uh, I I quite like to have personal projects that you can transform into commercial work. The, sometimes mm. the only backfire with that is if you do something personal that you really enjoy doing, mm -hmm. suddenly you have to uh, regurgitate it again, but to a set of briefs, and that sometimes takes a bit of the fun out of it. And I'm one of those people that when something's going quite well, I want to then stop and do something else. It's almost like a sort of uh, self-detonate. Self <laughs> self, yeah. yeah. Press the B so I did a series called Masks, and, mm. that, and this actually mm. goes on to um, when you were asking Dan earlier mm -hmm. about things being um, stolen. Yes. So a lot of these images got popular to the point where they were stolen by clothing brands and put on the front of clothing. No and way. the interesting thing that always comes up with this is it always comes back to being an intern's fault every time. <laughs> so with one of them in particular, I, can't, I won't mention any names, but um, the... <laughs> James shouldn't have mentioned it, should he, yes. really? Anyway, uh, that's um, really bad. We can, we, can bleep, we can bleep that out maybe before it goes on the internet. <laughs> I got ceased, so, how do I think six months? So, anyway, the, what, the, I'll explain what happened before, but I'll explain the, the end excuse first. The end excuse was well, we didn't make the t shirt, we farmed it out to another company. The other company got, oh, but you've jeopardised our. Um, sales through a big clothing store basically mm. and then they go oh it was an intern so the, the, the excuse is we don't have much time to come up with designs so we get the interns to scour the internet and then we assume that they're going to come up with something original but in their panic probably to get something done they're like oh well no one knows this guy's drawings oh, we'll, so we'll, we'll nick that so that ended up on a t-shirt so my first reaction was fairly naively was to go ha huh, I'll get the internet on them, that'll show them. <laughs> and the trouble is, is things like Twitter and, and the like feed quite heavily off of negativity. <laughs> so if, whenever I, if I put something negative on there, it li I literally get fat, like thousands of retweets and engagement. And if I put something on there that I'm really happy with, that makes me feel good, <laughs> I hope other people enjoy too, no one cares. <laughs> so what happened was because we did this, the company in question got really annoyed and sent us a cease and desist letter Holy uh, that afternoon to say I had to take down everything I'd put on on but Twitter because it, the backlash was pretty pretty bad. It's, it's a bit like with Twitter, once you let the genie out of the bottle with that sort of thing, it's really hard to put it back in. I should have said genie in the lamp because genies aren't in boxes. 
No, but then there's a Christina Aguilera yeah. uh, reference in so, there somewhere. Um, and then so I was going so that so anyway it ended up being intense. So what we got them to do was I think I got five hundred pounds compensation. This that doesn't normally happen. And then we told them that they had to send all of the t-shirts to a charity shop. So they was they're going to be sold for charity and they couldn't be sold through. And luckily they they agreed to it. That's good. We've had other things. We had things with Astrocat that's happened best Astrocat before. I won't mention anything about that. But I. <laughs> yeah, again, uh, but, we, I, I, but because I, I sold, I don't normally advocate selling the rights for something, but I've worked with my publisher for a very long time, and mm. in order for them to invest more in it, um, myself and Dominic sold the rights to mm. it. So the great thing is, is that um, they, they're building it up more as a, anyway, so that's beside the point, but what I mean, well, the mm. point I was trying to make with this is that when something's happened with AstroCat in terms of uh, intellectual property, mm -hmm. it doesn't really bother me. Because mm -hmm. I, if I find out first, I just send them an email and then they've got lawyers to deal with it. And actually, it, now I don't have the rights, the uh, it, it takes a lot of the pressure off. But also, the, the part of the reason I sold the rights to them is that you know, they're my friends. I've been mm -hmm. very close. I've worked with them for 10 years. So to talk about and that. So I trust them in that yeah. sort of that area. Whereas I wouldn't normally do that sort of thing. No, I was going to say, because they... Um, has anyone seen Ben's books? Yeah, cool. So they're run by No Brow Press. Yeah, is yeah. the publisher, which and the, is and the imprint that they come out on is Flying Eye Books, which is the children's books. Cool. So No Brow are running that IP and yeah, 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 yeah. So it means that basically, with the books for seven to eleven year olds, have mm. exact. We have me and myself and Dominic have exactly <laughs> the same deal that we used to, mm -hmm. but because um, the publisher is invested in the in the book that way. They are expanding, so we're already doing books for f the sim more simplified books for four to six year olds now. So, and we've done an activity book and the apps, and so the which is awesome. So yeah, so the publisher has more of a, I guess, uh, an investment in it. Mm -hmm. So they're going to push it further and, and try to make that brand as successful as possible. And it's obviously going the right way because No Brow is ten years old. Yeah, yeah, this year. Wow. So in that time, obviously, to then get to the level they have is. It's, it's, pretty, it's pretty brilliant. Well, especially as uh, last month, mm -hmm. Hilda, which is Luke Pearson's creation that he did very early on, I think it came out in 2010 as like a little small zine, mm -hmm. is now a Netflix show, which is incredible. Is that right? I didn't yeah. know that. It came out. Um, what, UK? A couple of, or? Yeah, well, it, no, globally. It's in, it's in all of the Netflix. Is it really? And it's absolutely, it looks like Luke's drawings. Even the backgrounds are like meticulously drawn and the colour palette's fantastic like they've, they've, they've done such a great adaptation I didn't know that um, and I, me and my son have been watching it in the mornings and he actually pays quite a bit of attention to it even though he's only 18 months <laughs> I don't mean to talk about children so much but it literally takes up all my time we've got a 6 week old and an 18 month say. old and it, uh, I've been trying to get work done and it's so so hard. Yeah, yeah. What and, and that's so that's why when I go to universities and <laughs> someone turns around to me and says, oh, "I haven't had time this week." <laughs> <laughs> Have you fun? <laughs> you don't know what it's like to paint something that's moving. Yeah, well, you just have no idea what it's like to function on so little sleep and constant whining and crying. <laughs> and you have to. And no, then there's the children. Pieces, yeah. but fuck me, it's so difficult. When like, no one tells you that before you have it, they're like, oh, it's so wonderful, it's really great. You're like, what, in four years' time, five years' time? This bit is really bad. So we had the first one just never slept, and now he sleeps great. And the second one sleeps really well, but yeah. he's got colic or reflux, so every time he's awake, he just cries. <laughs> so we've got the sort of reverse. Good times, yeah, guys. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, yeah. Sorry, this is not a... <laughs> not, this is not some therapy session about my children. <laughs> Does anyone else have kids? Thanks for the kids. Yes, yes. Sorry? Thanks for the insight. Yeah, but I'm, tr I'm, I'm trying to do this as some sort of intervention for you all to not have children. <laughs> Too late. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> How old are yours? Oh, well, still expecting. Oh, right. Oh, yes. Right. You are so fucked. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm joking. Like, uh, uh, we. It, the one thing I found, I found out was that uh, if, you, if you have a baby that sleeps really well straight away, it doesn't mean you're good parents. <laughs> you're just very lucky. Uh, no, it's, it's, it's really fun, but it's very tiring. You can put the pacifier in alcohol. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, or just the heroin. Yeah. <laughs> For legal reasons, we do not condone giving children heroin. Congratulations, by the way. <laughs> it's, it's very exciting. <laughs> James and Jing will be talking after Ben, by the way, and we'll be touching on that subject, so that's fine. <laughs> the, I haven't told the parents yet. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> in terms of the split then, on that point though, in terms of the split between work and trying to manage your personal life, have you ever thought of getting like a full-time gig? 
Have you ever thought, actually, well, it would be easier if I went and just did this? Um, not really sure how to answer that one. Well, well, mm. The only way I can... Th- so I used to work from home a lot, and I found that when I worked from home, and this is partly when I was working at Waterstones as well, so I was in a very transitional phase of yep. trying to do this as a career, but also having a, a job that I was whittling down. And because I worked at home, home life was very blurred between work and home. There was there was no line. Mm. So it was hard to switch off. And that came at a detriment for a long, long-term long relationship. I was with someone for seven years. Mm-hmm. And that sort of, that my lack of attention to that part of my life led to yeah, other things happening, which led to the breakdown of that relationship. Mm-hmm. So that was a big learning curve for me that actually I shouldn't work at home. Because then I, then we, we moved out of the, our flat that we were living in. And I had a, a room in a house I was renting. And I was basically working at a desk at the end of my bed. And I got to the point where I was like, I can't, I can't be in like trapped in this house all the time, mm. you know, go feeling sort of having everything just changed and being sort of quite emotional, I guess. So then I got a studio, and the studio has been the best thing I've had between creating a line between work and home. So the great, the way it's worked out so well now is that now I do have a much busier home life. Mm. When I go to the, I, I go to work, and I have to start treating these things that where things I did in the evenings and on holidays, I had to start treating it. And, and that when I didn't have children, I could work whatever hours I needed to. Um, but now I can't do that. So I have to have that dividing line between home and work. And I really like it because I come home and I don't talk about work. I go in the garden and um, make some shit painting. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get to the shit painting. For no one. Because the shit painters actually aren't that shit. They're great. But the, the, on, the, and on the Professor Astrocat story, yeah. so when was the tipping point? When did... Professor Astrocat pop up and become a thing then in that so obviously you're working all the hours under the sun yeah and then you've got that, an idea that was, that was a lot of that was a lot of work because at that point I was still trying to do a lot of commercial work at the same time mm-hmm. to afford myself the luxury of doing the book so when the book came out I thought well this is probably the best like commercial idea that I've had in which I feel it's creative and satisfies a lot of needs with me but I, you know, I my expectations. I was hoping it was going to work out because I couldn't see myself having a better idea than that for some time. Mm. But I was fairly confident it was going to go the way of my other books. <laughs> so um, you have to talk about the other books now. You have to talk about the book reviews and the other books. Uh, well, that's kind of I kind of need the visual props for that. I, in the mm. talk, I show uh, reviews on Amazon, so I show all the bad reviews and um, and also I got a review. So one of the early comic books I did. I had a really bad review from someone that I really wanted to impress who was this comics journalist and that totally like <laughs> sent me into the bin and, right? and, and that made me not want to write again but through doing the Astro Cat books I had a bit of an editorial uh, I helped with the writing and some of the editorial side and also mm-hmm. I worked as an art director for Nobara for a year so I worked on helping people with their uh, children's books and graphic novels and realised that actually I, I, I'm not I've read enough comics, enough stories, seen the films to have an idea of when I feel like something's working and isn't working. So over time, I eventually had the confidence to write again, and I did a picture book a couple of years ago. And I'm still writing ideas, but the Astrocat stuff keeps me so busy because I do, I do about, I do one of the big books every two years that come out every two years. I do a mm-hmm. small book for four to six years that comes out every year, and then I do, um, I do a book for a publisher. In, in Paris of a publisher called Milan okay. I do one of those a year which is that they just give me a brief and I just draw the, the book for them um, and they're quite simple and easy to do so I sort of at the moment averaging about two and a half books a year um, this year I've drawn three books and I'm starting the fourth one wow so and these it's aren't ama- small books I mean when we well, say the, drawing the, the, book, the big not- Astro Cat ones mm. are, are, are long and mm-hmm. they take me a lot of time because I've got to research everything and make sure it's, it's drawn correctly but it all fits together with the established aesthetic mm. The smaller books, so the, the four to six year old Astro Cat books are, um, they're sort of taken sections from the bigger book and are relayed to a younger audience. So I've drawn the space stuff a lot of times, so the turnover for that is quite quick. Mm-hmm. And then the Milan board books are like five spreads, so it's not, it's okay. not a crazy amount of work because they're, they're board books, they don't have a very high page count. So I could, it's, it's quite manageable, but yeah, the, the big Astro Cat books take me a long time and sometimes it, it if there's certain delays or problems that have happened, if the books end up, the books have it, that book, the big book in particular, has a tendency to bottleneck. So I, I need to take on extra work while I'm doing the books, and when uh, I, it, everything gets, if anything gets delayed and makes me have less time, it means it's harder for me to take on extra projects, and therefore it can get a bit stressful. And I'm not in a, I'm not in a stage at the moment where 
uh, I have lots of time to spare. No, or I'd any, imagine. Uh, and my procrastination time is vastly reduced. <laughs> which is why it's nice to go out to Manchester today and sit on a train and procrastinate and read comic books. But uh, was that... The, I don't know what the question was now. <laughs> where was the tipping point for AstroCat? Oh, so okay, when yeah, sorry. That's a good where? question. The tipping point was... We sold out of the print, the first print run, which I think was five thousand. Wow! Um, so it came out so in, I think October, of two thousand and thirteen. Okay. And then we'd sold through the whole print run by the end of January, which was that's really amazing. Great. So, so, right, so the, the first the, release. So yeah, so we had this like great sell, and mm. then because none of us were expecting it to do so well, uh, we we're like, wow we need to print some more books, <laughs> and then obviously there's a lag time mm. of printing the book, so. The book had come out, sold really well, and then there was about three months where you couldn't buy the book, <laughs> um, which was a bit frustrating, but you, you can't predict some of these things. And then we did a bigger mm. print run, and then, then the book's in 22 languages. We just sold it recently into all Arabic languages. Wow. Which is really cool. Yeah, it's that's in awesome. Like, it's in Japanese, two types of Chinese, I think. Yeah, it's, so it's doing well. There's still some more languages that we can pick up. Mm -hmm. but that's you know that's 21 more languages than I thought it would be in. Which is, it, to go, I mean, where's your head at now in regards to AstroCat? I'm not, I'm not saying it, you're like, well, you know, I need to now reinvent myself like Lady Gaga or David Bowie or something. No, the, like the, just well, actually, it's funny you say David Bowie because he was, oh, there's a quote of his about um, comfort zones. Mm. And I find the AstroCat stuff's interesting for me. This is why the bigger books take longer, is that I have one foot in the comfort zone, which mm. is I know what all the cast of characters look like and mm. I can draw them. And the other foot in the uncomfortable, which is drawing a new set of science, for example. So the book I'm working on at the moment is to do with Under the Sea. Mm. So I have a lot, of, a lot of different fish and things to research. But the one that came out this year was on the human body. So I wanted some of the human body stuff to look fairly realistic so I want the, the backgrounds to feel quite textured and things so that then the blocky characters would sit over the top in an interesting way I guess a bit like a sort of Hanna-Barbera mm -hmm. cartoon where you have the very textured painterly backgrounds and then you have the block cell animation over the top so that was the hope with doing that so it's sort of trying to draw these things in a way that's interesting and detailed but still um, balances with the established aesthetic and makes it kind of interesting so yeah, I have to sort of try out two, yeah. two things, doing two things at the same time. Illustration. Not party. On self-generated work then, so you've got AstroCat, obviously what No Brow would like, where mm. you want to be, children, the house, where do you fit in self-generated work? Do you fit in self-generated work? Well, I mean, I'm trying to write picture book stories in my spare time. Okay. I don't get much chance to do it because it's the sort of thing where you need to give yourself maybe a couple of days in a row. Mm -hmm because you'll get started, you get the ball rolling and you got stopped, so it's quite frustrating. So I've been trying to do that, I haven't really got very far with it. That's why, like I've been talking about this painting in the garden, is that I just get up, go down to the garden, do that, come back inside. There's no, I don't have to sort of rev up. Yes, so yeah, it's doing, doing a, a children's book, oh, fuck me, <laughs> um, uh, is, is quite, is very time consuming, and you, there's a lot of spinning wheels and little bits you have to make work together. Mm. But the thing is with the painting is I can go downstairs, mark something out, get a jigsaw out, chop it up, put it all back together and then paint it. And it's, mm. just, it's, there's, it's quite, yeah, mm. it's, it, I don't have to sit down and go, oh, what would, yeah, what's missing matter. from the children's book market? Uh, I'd imagine you do sit there and think, what's missing from the children's book market? Yeah, Obviously from the Waterstones conversation, mm. Rebecca, you know. But yeah, I think, I, but I think the going, just going back to the Waterstones again, and we're hopping around a lot, is that mm. I don't, don't think when you finish university that if you don't come out with a job doing something that you failed. Yeah. Because you haven't, everyone works at a different pace, so. Yeah, and don't also, be too hard on yourself. Yeah, exactly. Driving to where you need to be as well. That's the other thing, as opposed to just jumping into something and then thinking, oh, you know, I've got a job straight out of uni. Great. Yeah. It may not be totally right. So, I mean, if I graduated, it took me almost 10 years to come up to the point where I had an idea for something that I wanted to do and then made it into reality. Is that, yeah, that's a, that's a big block of time. It is. Yeah. So, yeah. And then Hastings as a whole, how important is location to you? Uh... Well, all of the different locations I've lived in were, were good for where I was at the time. So Bristol was a great place to start out. Mm -hmm. It's a really great city. I had really good friends there. I met a lot of illustrators there. And we had a good thing going in terms of friendly competition and talking to each other and showing each other. So, for example, 
Photoshop, I mean, I, I'm not particularly proficient at it, which is why I find the question of what what software do you use quite funny, because everyone I know that uses certain software uses it in their own cack-handed way. There's not really a, you, you know, using this, and so people come along and go, oh, it's how many layers? <laughs> Your poor computer. Um, so there's that, and... I, yeah, so we, you know, Bristol was good for that. London was an interesting experience if I could afford to do it, and I was mm -hmm. around people working at a very, very professional level. Like Dan was saying, uh, it was really funny when Dan was reeling off Owen Gildersleeve and Rob Hunter, because I used to share a studio with Owen, and uh, I used to teach with Rob, and Rob used to have oh, a studio shit. around the corner from me. In fact, I had Rob's old desk in, in Bristol once he'd left that studio. So uh, yeah, so all, all those sorts of guys were around working for really big clients and stuff. And um, is Rob the guy did the... Elbow yeah, that's elbow. right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So Rob's really lovely. He's very handsome, very like boyish, tall, handsome man. With these like <laughs> brown eyes that you want to melt into. And um, Owen, is, <laughs> Owen, Owen is is a really like lovely, energetic. He's also very handsome too, uh, man. He's got both of them have a very thick head of hair, <laughs> which I hate them for. <laughs> Great. This is this is <laughs> this is the equipment. This hat is my a toupee, basically. I like it. It's a good look because at least it makes it look like you're prepared. You're ready. Yeah, for snow. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> which actually isn't. You know, I mean, obviously today is a bit of a well, normal. The weather was horrible here yesterday. Uh, so so the, that working with them and all in that. I mean, the studio we were in London was amazing because. I shared with my friend Jim Stoughton, uh, yes. Ellie Foreman Peck, who does loads of stuff for The Guardian. Mm -hmm. um, Pete, Pete Locke, who does mm -hmm. a lot of portrait uh, editorial stuff. Yep. Um, Owen, who does all the paper cut stuff. And then down the end of the corridor was our mate Dave, who's a photographer and a graphic designer. He used to play Dalston. Bolo in the Mighty Boosh. It's in Dalston. Yeah, in Dalston. Yeah, on mm. Cola Street. Yeah. So then he shared a room with Mr. Bingo and mm -hmm. Sister Arrow. Uh, we had a romantic painter in the room next to us. We had Crispin Finn on the other side. What's the romantic painter? Uh, he just painted naked women a lot in a sort of like splodgy way. Oh, right, wow. Yeah, didn't know that was a thing. So sometimes you'd walk past his room and the door was ajar. <laughs> we're like, what? what are you doing today? Uh, Did you say John Julien? Yeah, oh, yeah, Jean, Jean, Jean was downstairs with Thibault Haram. Yeah. Is that who's that? I can't find like, the oh, surname. No, I'm sure. no, 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 they were downstairs. just that particular one. Oh, okay. <laughs> they, they were downstairs, but then I think they moved up to the top floor. And they, and like Nouveau were down there as well. And there were probably countless other people. There was also a tailor from Savile Row who was opposite who showed me how to um, sew. I can't remember the name of the. where you sew buttons onto a jacket where you loop it around so it stays on really sturdily. Wow. Um, so a lot of people there. Oh, mm -hmm. uh, Steffi, who does the modernist buildings stuff, she was in the room opposite. So a lot of really nice people. Mm. Obviously, those periods of time and people being there only last a certain uh, exist in a certain. Like I try not to say time again, but yeah, that was oh, a no, time no. where yeah. those things all happened, and then they weren't going to. Nothing was going to stay that way forever. But it was a really good time. And then I met my girlfriend, so I had to move to Hastings because mm -hmm. one of the guys. A friend of mine moved down there to be with his girlfriend, who was her best friend, mm -hmm. and um, we moved down and got a studio together. So we ended up having a floor together where we had our own rooms, but we shared our bathroom. Yeah, which is I think a really important thing when you get a studio is to make sure the bathroom setup's pretty good, <laughs> because there's nothing worse than needing a number two and having to, um, you know, r rush because <laughs> there's a queue. In fact, actually, someone reminded me of this after my talk yesterday because I bumped into my old tutor Ian, who had arranged this to happen mm. uh, yesterday. The talk at Manchester Uni, and the one of the other tutors that came along was there with him, and mm. this happened in Paris. So we bumped into each other in Paris at this book fair that I was giving a talk at, mm. and uh, the day before, I had to go out for lunch with the French publisher of Professor Astrakhan, and they'd arranged this lovely lunch in this beautiful restaurant, really good food with a journalist from one of the national newspapers so I felt very special being on <laughs> and um, we had this nice meal there was a lot of translating going on for me because my French is appallingly awful mm. and um, about halfway th well I guess towards the end I just needed to go to the toilet so <laughs> I went to the toilet to do I'm not going to pussyfoot around it I went to do a poo <laughs> um, and um, went in locked the door sat down got my phone out <laughs> and we all get our phone out when we go for a poo and um, I was just sat there and all of a sudden the door opened and it was the journalist <laughs> of the, the cubicle the, lo the lock was broken uh, in oh, the, no. and there was only one toilet in the place and so she just walked in on me uh, on the toilet oh. 
and, That's uh, the worst. and then what was really bad is she then left feeling quite embarrassed and then I had to go back and sit at the table <laughs> and have the rest of my lunch with them this is the first thing I wasn't doing a poo by the way but I think just, the best thing when that happens is to you know, just own it to go down and go Haha, guess what and then, you, and then you tell them and then go put that in the article <laughs> and I think that sort of doused the flames of embarrassment I like it it's good the fact that you've been in an environment which is like a collaborative creative space this is where I'm going to go with Sigmund Freud okay. and then move that like you say multi-layered living space where you've got a lot going on the shed at the bottom of the garden maybe a clap like obviously maybe maybe something that connects there maybe the fact that you've then started to build your own environment the fact that you've got obviously your family yeah. in there you've got everything going on yeah I, I think um, I said this to the students yesterday is that the environment that you're in at university if you are at university or have been at university is that you notice that you've got a lot of people around that are all um, seeking similar things or maybe have similar interests mm -hmm. or um, you create like a sort of nice group and once you leave it's quite hard to to um, like recreate that yeah in, in, a, in a professional environment so yeah it, it that's you have to I think it's worth trying to seek those things out and if you can't find them think of ways of setting them up yourself I mean our Cola Street in Dalston for example part of the reason that worked is, is that this was maybe about seven years ago when we first moved into that building when it had just started up so that was like a, a warehouse that no one used so the rent was fairly cheap but obviously as the area gets gentrified the rent and everything starts going up and the place starts changing so it's sort of trying to look at these places where maybe a little bit on the outskirts or not still quite in the centre it's still quite good so are you in the studios at Arcana I, I live next door actually. Like next door. oh really oh is that where you were yeah oh right great yeah. Yeah. so what because it's road just next to Amherst, top of Amherst. oh so hang on so just for a moment is that when you go down Arcola Street and turn left <laughs> yeah, so is it the Lighthouse Studios it's just next to there yeah Oh right, okay. There's there's a we were neighbours and we didn't know it. Well, there's a cafe. Did you get there's a cafe down there called is yes. it Mouse and Deluxe? Yes. Yeah. Are they still <laughs> unbelievably slow at serving people? <laughs> That's the style, though, isn't it? Uh, it's like they're st they were like they were so stoned. I mean, the, the, the chicken sandwiches were great, but you'd have to wait twenty five minutes for one, and it wasn't even busy. <laughs> well, that's Dawson for you. Yeah. It's all for the names. It's chilled. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. Good. So where do you live then? Oh, what now? What, uh, what then, when you were in that studio? Oh, no, we used to be at the top of uh, just uh, um, Amherst like Road. Yeah, like a new building, so like a corner. Oh, okay. Over there. Oh, you did it, nice. Sorry, everybody, that's a bit of London geography. It's really interesting <laughs> for you when you're in Manchester. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, these th you start to realise it's a very sort of small world. Yeah, you do. Especially when you, like, when you start breaking things down, we start breaking things down to location and the fact that you're still doing the same thing. So tell us about the ship paintings, what you're trying to do. Okay, so... I don't one, think they're ship. One of the things I wanted to start doing uh, that was different from... Because some of my work was becoming more and more computer-based. Yeah. So I got bored of Apple Zing everything. So I wanted to start painting. I talked to my friend Bjorn Lee, who's a very fantastic illustrator. And one thing he used to do was to prime bits of wood and then mm. coat them with varnish. So the paint wouldn't quite... You couldn't quite control how the paint stuck to the board as well. But I decided that I wanted to use a scalpel and a knife to draw out what I wanted to paint because I would use masking tape to mask off areas and paint in them. So I would use a scalpel rather than a pencil because I would have, I'd make a mark in the board that I couldn't delete. So any mistakes became a part of That's the work awesome. and I couldn't get rid of anything. So I had to yeah. live with the fact that I'd drawn something wrong there and just had to sort of get past it. So as I was doing that for a while, I'd just sort of do it on and off when I had time because I'd always have to get all the stuff out do whatever I was doing and then pack it away. This is what's so great about having this sort of studio that's just about for making a mess. Now I've got to the point where I get a jigsaw out and uh, uh, the saw, jigsaw, not a jigsaw puzzle. <laughs> and then uh, I cut the work, I cut the, not work, cut the wood up so that mm. it, like, I cannot fix that once it's done. That mark is made. Yeah. And then I paint all the individual bits of wood and then mm. paint little compositions of them. So one of the things I learned from painting the blocks for Wilbur mm -hmm. was that the blocks weren't particularly straight so I just worked freehand on it and that made me be a lot less precious mm -hmm. but what was kind of cool is if you did one little composition on the block that wasn't very good you mm -hmm. had five other sides to do other compositions on so it was an object as opposed to a picture and then when I put them all together you had all these little compositions that kind of make up a big composition 
So then I thought, oh, isn't it an interesting way to approach something rather than going, oh, here is this big thing, I'm going to make a picture that I really like. And you set that expectation up for you, yourself, and it makes it harder to do something that you're happy with. Mm. So I thought if I cut all the bits up really small, work on small compositions on those bits of wood and then glue them all back together, I lose the, I lose the preciousness of approaching a big piece of... You know, yeah, wood or paper or whatever. And it's also something quite infinite about that, the fact that you could never stop making that picture, I guess, in some ways. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I've been doing this thing I like to call pendulum, mm. which is where I do a painting that's you know, too much <laughs> and then do another one that's really minimal and then sort of try and swing it back and forth until I hit a middle point where I think it might work. Yeah. So, for example, I did one painting where I thought, oh, I want to do one. never normally have names for work before I, I do it, but this one I was like, oh, Enchanted Web. <laughs> so I cut it so that it was this image that all went to a center point cut in like a web mm-hmm. but then I realized that um, e- everything was all focused in the middle and it looked really derivative and boring so then the rest of the time I spent on it was trying to pull the attention out from the middle by making the rest of the painting interesting mm-hmm. and I don't like funny enough it's the one where people come into the studio and go oh I really like that one I'm like really it's the worst, it's the worst <laughs> one. what about this one over here that's um, you know super minimal and then I'm oh, so bothered about that but what was interesting about that was going, I did way too much. It got too, too crazy. And I'm going to do one where I just cut, cut it up into like four pieces and paint mm-hmm. them all one color. And I don't add any extra bits onto it. And then funny enough, whenever I put that stuff onto Instagram, the ones that I really hate get, get loads of likes. And then the ones that I'm really, really happy with, no one cares. <laughs> get, gets like a fraction of the, the amount. But it, it link into, has anyone read Ben's book, Boo? Has anyone read that? Okay, you should. There's a market here. I can explain to you very quickly. It starts off with a small animal. They say they're brave. A silhouette arrives. It's a bit bigger than them. Comes out, goes boo. That one runs off. That, so that animal that's just scared them stays there. I'm the bravest. A silhouette arrives with a bigger animal. I turn the page and the bigger animal attracts boo and scares them. And it goes on from a mouse all the way up to an elephant. Yeah, and then... And then the, the mouse is. comes back in and scares the elephant. So it goes back around on itself. An a bit infinite like the, loop. A bit like the comic book I did, Aruburus, which the guy hated because he said... Uh, if it, it ends it ends back where it begins saves having to come up with an idea. So I feel like I'm stuck in an I feel like I feel like I'm stuck in an infinitesimal loop of writing books that he's gonna hate. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that is a definitely good yeah, strong I've aim nothing in life. since that review. Yeah. What's his name? I, his name? What's no, his I, I don't want to say. Okay. But I, 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 can, I will say I say his name in the talk. Yes. But I don't wanna make I don't wanna create beef with him because I bump into him from time to time oh, in comic things. And I always pretend I don't know who he is because I'm that I'm that shallow. <laughs> or you're just like, oh, well, sorry, where are you from? Yeah. Um, okay, so that's probably a good Actually, point. I try, to I try and avoid him, but he <laughs> he, he does he does recognize. He's always there. I, I don't own it and have like his review on a t-shirt. And yeah. Yeah. Yeah, hey, yeah. yeah. And imagine that'd be quite. He must have done that to a few people. Maybe he can form a hate group. That was it. What was one of the Maybe other could... quotes? Was the tail bounces along yeah. merrily enough. Um, but with not many ideas, he's it's so hard. But then when I read it, when, but, but then he lists the things in the book like um, swapping eyes, a mermaid, space yeah. aliens. I mean, um, yeah, what was... else happens in it? Uh, he gnaws off his arm when he's think, kidnapped. Yeah, and then that he kicks the arse. Four out pretty of solid ideas right there. <laughs> Infinite loop. Oh, and it, and it loops. Yeah. That's the thing. I only had twenty-four pages. I mean, what does he find? <laughs> It's like, you write a book, mate. Right, okay, so going back to the beginning, one piece of advice that you give yourself, as in AKA The Room, is there one piece of advice that you would like to share? Yeah, try not writing a book that ends where it begins. (laughs) Again and again. Um, You've asked me this one before on the Mm. podcast, but I can't remember what I answered, so I don't know if I really want to repeat myself. Uh, what, what, it was, what is my normal answer actually? Well, I'm not going to say it because then you're going to say it. I would say that you. It's a great link. Podcast, illustration insights, everyone. Yeah, it's true. The, I think usually you talk if, about. If you tell me what it is, then I'll make sure I can give one that isn't the same. Well, usually, usually you talk about focusing in on your style and focusing in on what you want to be able to develop as your own idea and keeping that dream alive in that respect. Yeah, I like to refer to it as visual language, everybody, as opposed to style. Style's <laughs> the sort of thing that um, people in fashion use, or, or art directors, or people that are making mood boards. So, um, okay, that's, so if we talk, the reason I don't like using that word is because it indicates uh, a fad or trend. So the, 
if we were to get everyone in here to draw a line, you'd all, all your lines would be slightly different from one another's. So one of the things I find frustrating is that when I go and teach or talk to people, they're like, oh, I haven't found my style. I really like this style. I want to draw like this. And that's, uh, I'm not, I can't blame anyone. Like I, I felt the same when I was younger as well. And partly mm -hmm. one of the reasons it takes longer to do work before you know how you feel comfortable making and creating work um, is because you're looking for something. Mm. You're sort of looking for that thing in your work more than you are the actual work. And uh, I like the idea of, I get everyone to do these drawing, uh, quick drawing workshop where mm. they have to draw two minutes from a, from a reference on the screen and then the screen goes off and they have one minute to draw the thing from their two minute drawing as reference mm -hmm. and it goes along to the point where they have 10 seconds to do the drawing. So what's really interesting is if you got them to draw an owl before looking at an owl and then you give them a picture of an owl and then two minutes, one minute, 30 seconds, 10 seconds to draw the owl again. It's kind of amazing that the beautiful thing happens around the, ten, the ten, 30 second and 10 second mark mm. where people aren't worried about am I drawing this thing perf perfectly? Does it, does it look cool? Are my friends gonna like it? Is someone gonna wanna hire me? You just do a drawing and actually they look kind of brilliant and they're my favorite drawings. So I think that's what I'm trying to say is um, it, the only way to work out how you create imagery is to just make a lot of it and make a lot of bad work. Yeah. Because you can only make work, better work by making lots of bad work. Yeah. And bad in the way that other people will probably like it. Like I was saying with the paintings, the ones that I don't like are the ones that, um, so I'm not thrusting my groin down here, <laughs> sorry. Um, the, work that I, the work that I don't like, it, it, I'm not so keen on, tends to be the ones that other people like. So yeah. you, you know, you have to, it, you get that balance between your own satisfaction and pleasing others. Because I, I like to say, oh, I'm just doing this for myself. But you know, at the end of the day, I do hope someone likes it. Yeah. I don't want to just- We all like it, don't we? Um, no, like no, no I, don't, I don't mean it like, uh, you need to no. sort of lift me up on that. <laughs> Not not depressed or anything. <laughs> not, not at the moment. Um, so yeah, the idea is is that if you take that pressure off yourself, and it, as long as you as long as you just keep doing things and mm. making things, you eventually get there. But you have you know you will look you have to look around you at what's around to understand. But what I'm trying to say is don't get too distracted by that. Yeah. Um, because uh, yeah, maybe we should all just draw a line together now. Why don't we just do, do that? it? Draw a line. There's paper. Not of cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Ben. Thanks. Thanks again for listening. We hope you enjoyed our chat. We hope to see you at the next block party in 2019. And if you would like to attend, visit crazyanimalface.co.uk forward slash illustration blog.